0: We've been looking at a series here, we'll finish it up next week, on the issue of what does it mean to love God. And, you know, as we think about the Christian life, I'll be honest with you, probably one description of being a Christian and living the Christian life is this, frustrating. A lot of us can look at the Christian life and say, well, you know, I know what the Bible says how I should live, I know what the Bible says what I should inter- how I should interact with other people, I know what the Bible says, but I've tried it, and I've met with nothing but failure. And this is especially true when we look at when we consider that last week, John told us that the meaning of loving God is loving other people. That the meaning of loving God is that I am obedient to what he tells me to do. And if that's what loving God is, then I'm really in a lot of trouble, George. How in the world can I do that? Because I've tried and I've failed. And especially when you think about it, that he caused me to love even my enemies. And you know how hard that is, to love someone who has done you wrong, or is doing you wrong. How can I do that? And so to describe the Christian life as frustrating would probably be a pretty accurate description, wouldn't it? Because you think about it. You want to do what's right. You want to serve the Lord. And yet he's got this standard up here that seems so unattainable. He's got that standard that seems like, man, why even try? Why even try? Well, you know what? This is the wonderful thing about God's Word. He doesn't just tell us what we need to do. He tells us how we can do it. You know what I'm saying? He he just doesn't tell us what we need to do. He just doesn't say, guys, if you love me, keep my commandments, and here's the number one commandment I give to you, love each other. Because you know how things are. You know, you get this many people together, sooner or later we're all going to rub each other wrong one way or another. You may get up on the wrong side of the bed, and you don't love anybody. You know how that is. You know, tomorrow that will be that way, Monday. Isn't that the way Monday is? You go to work, you don't love anybody at work. You know, you're happy on Friday because Saturday's coming. You know what I'm saying? But you, know, you don't love anybody. And so here's that standard that you know, if I love you, God, i got to love everybody, how, how do I do that? Well, let's look at what he says. Look with me, if you have your Bibles, if you're using the Pew Bibles, 643, verse 4 through 15. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He who overcomes the world, but he, but who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because of the, the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. A little bit difficult passage to understand, but I'm going to try to break it down so all of us understand a little bit of what John is saying here so that we can understand how it is that we can attain that standard that he calls for us. Because if you notice in verse 3, right before he starts verse 4, he says this, and his commandments are not burdensome. Remember I told you another word that we use is frustrating for the Christian life? Another concept that we have of the Christian life is there's no way to do it. But John says it's not burdensome, and so here's how he tells us why. So first of all, that he wants us to understand, if you're going to do what God tells you to do, if you're going to be obedient to him as a reflection of your love for him, because again, just saying, I love Jesus, isn't enough. It's got to be reflected in your life. And the ultimate reflection of that is your love towards others. If we're going to do that, we have to understand several key things. The first thing is our standing. That is, our identity as Christians. So I want you to notice with me verse 4. Notice what he says. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The first thing I want you to understand, and if you've got on the back of your bulletin there the message map, you can follow along. The first thing is this, that we have overcome. We have overcome. We've overcome. The Chicago Tribune, back in March of 1992, gave this following illustration in one of its stories. On Sunday night, March 22, 1992, a twin-engine jetliner, U.S. Air Flight 405, waited in line to take off from New York's LaGuardia Airport. On board was Bart Simon, a Cleveland businessman. Outside, the snowstorm was blowing. After the plane sat in line for nearly 30 minutes, the control tower gave clearance for a takeoff. The Dutch-made Fokker F-28 raced its engines and headed southward down the runway 13-31. The plane lifted off the ground, but the left wing dipped and scraped against the runway. The landing gear struck a set of navigational lights and the plane touched back down to the left of the runway Splattering along in the mud for 100 feet, the the plane then nosed briefly back up into the air. But the left wing antenna on the side of the but the left wing hit the antennas on the side of the runway, and the fuselage began to break apart. Finally, the plane bounced into Flushing Bay. 27 people were killed in the crash, but Bart Simon survived unharmed. Surviving a plane crash would be a traumatic experience, but no one would blame Bart if he never chose to fly again. No one would think twice if he decided the next day to drive home to Cleveland or take a train or a bus. But on Monday, a day after the crash, Bart climbed aboard another airplane and flew safely back to Cleveland. Bart was an overcomer. Fear grounds many people. Fear paralyzes ministries, relationships, dreams, churches, and careers. And the only way to overcome is to do what we fear. And see, this is what John is saying to us. He says, if anyone is born of God, he has overcome. What does he overcome? The world. See, the reason why we can look at a standard like that and say, boy, God tells me to love everyone. There's no way I can reach that standard. I might as well give up. But here's what John says. If you're born of God, you've overcome. And I think the first barrier for you and I to do what God calls us to do is the concept that we tell ourselves we can't do it. We start telling ourselves there's no way I can do it so I have an excuse for not loving you. I have an excuse for holding a grudge against you. I have an excuse for being kicked off at you. But the reality is, is I don't have an excuse. Because if I know Jesus Christ, He says I'm an overcomer. I have. In fact, it's a reference to a past tenth event. I have overcome. As Christ has overcome through His death on the cross and the victory there and the salvation that He's given us, I have the ability to do it. And so I need to recognize my standing. And my standing is is that I have overcome. I have overcome. The next thing I want you to see is is that the source of our victory is faith. The source of our victory is faith. The source of our victory is faith. How can you and I overcome when we see that standard and we know that in my human flesh I can't do it? Notice what he says there in verse 4. He says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that Jesus has forgiven you. Let me give you an example. There's that standard we have to reach. And we'll use the standard that he uses here in this passage of obedience to God, loving other people. You fail. It's only natural for us to fail, isn't it? Somebody rubs you wrong, somebody does you wrong. The last thing you want to do is love that individual. There's that standard. How can I reach that standard, George? I'm going to fail. Well, what we need to recognize is that it's the issue of faith. Faith in God. God giving you the ability to love. God giving you the ability to get up again, even though you failed, rather than laying laying down in your failure. You get up and keep going on. And you say to him, Lord, You died for me. You forgave me. And with your forgiveness, I can move on. I can help me to love that person. Faith gives you the victory. Faith in God doing it. See, here's an interesting thing. John, in his gospel, I mentioned this earlier in Sunday school, the 15th chapter in the upper room discussion, Jesus says to them in the 15th chapter, he gives the analogy of the vine and that they are the branches. And in verse 5 he says this very powerful thing. He says this, He that abides in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. What is he talking about fruit there, George? The same brings forth much victories in his life, much shows forth the life that God wants him to do. And then he makes this statement at the end of verse 5, he says this, But without me, you can do nothing. See, in and of myself, if God said, George, I want you to love people even when they kick you when you're down. George, I want you to love people even though they say stuff about you. In and of myself, my natural human tendency is to say, you got to be kidding me. Last thing I want to do is love those kind of people. And you say, well, what do you mean those kind of people? Even people in church can act that way, can't they? Isn't that true? Last thing I want to do is love those people. But he says, I want you to love those. If he left it up to me, I can almost guarantee you I couldn't do it. There's no way I could do it. The hurt would be too big, the hurt would be too real. Every time I saw them, I, I would want to get angry and, and hold bitterness in my heart. There's, there's no way I could do it. But here's the thing if it's up to me to do it, I can't do it. What did he say? For without me, what? You can do nothing. The key thing is Him. With Him, I can. With Him, I'm able to do it. With Him, I'm able to love the person who hurts me. With Him, I'm able to love that person who rubs me wrong. And you know how easy it is. I mean, you know, Lori and I joke all the time. Sometimes she gets up in the morning and she's mad at me. And... It's not that I've done anything. She had a dream where I did something in the dream. You guys know what I'm talking about. Wife gets up, she's mad at you. What, what are you mad about? Well, you did this in my dream. Well, I had nothing to do with your dream. And, you know, you just wake up mad sometimes. But there's that standard. Love. How do I do it? Faith. We've overcome. The victory is there because of faith. 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 Don't give up. Recognize your standing. You're an overcomer. And so then he goes on and tells us, then in verse 5, notice what he says in verse 5. He who has, Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Victory belongs to those who truly believe. Victory belongs to those who truly believe. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've come to Him recognizing who He is, that He is the God of the universe, that He has died for you, that He has given you forgiveness of your sins, past, present, and future, that He has accepted you unconditionally, not, he doesn't, he's not worried about your warts or what you did or didn't do or anything like that. He accepts you for who you are. If you recognize that He is who He is and you come to Him and say, Lord, I want You to come into my life. I give my life to You. And you come to Him in salvation. John says, you've overcome. The victory is yours because you have believed, truly believed in the One who is Lord. Victory's there. So there's that standard. Woo! Got that big standard up there. How do we do it? First thing you do is you recognize who you are. You recognize who you are. You're an overcomer. Say that to yourself. I'm an overcomer. Oh boy, you really sound like an overcomer, don't you? Say it, to, say it again. Say it, say it with meaning. I'm an overcomer. Do you really believe that? Do you? Will you believe it when you fail? Chances are you won't. You know what? You need to believe it when you fail, because that'll that'll be what allows you to pick yourself up the floor and keep going on, even the spider. You're an overcomer, he says. And the reason you're an overcomer is because of Jesus because of Jesus. He goes on then now and tells us what is the object of our faith. I mean, you got to have... Faith is what gives us the victory. What is the object of our faith? We see that in verses 6 through 13. Notice verse 6. He tells us this. Our faith must be in Jesus. Our faith must be in Jesus. Notice what he says. This is he who came by water. Water there is reference to his baptism, that is. This is he who came by his ministry, his earthly ministry, and by blood, what? His crucifixion on the cross. Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. Again, signifying his death. Because remember, when they pierced him with a spear, what came? Water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Our faith has to be in Jesus. What is? His work, His ministry, His death, His burial, His resurrection. Our faith has to be there. You have to believe that He came, that He came to live among us, to show us about God. You have to believe that He went to the cross for you. You have to believe that He died for you. You have to believe that He rose again. Our faith has to be in Jesus. That's the object of our faith, is the one who gave us victory over sin and death. That's the object of our faith. And so then he goes on, and he says that how you and I can have faith is because God has given us testimony. God gave us testimony concerning Jesus. God gave us testimony concerning Jesus. Look at verse 7 and 9. For there are three who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. This is a Trinitarian verse here. And verse 8, and these three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, that is, the Spirit's descending on Jesus, the water, that is, the ministry, the baptism which led into his ministry, and the blood, that is, his crucifixion. And these three agree as one. They all point to him being God. All of them point to him being God. And if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. He's saying here, look guys, if you're willing to accept the testimony of some man who says this has happened, then the testimony of God is even greater than men. The testimony that God has done this is even greater than men. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. God gave us testimony concerning Jesus. Jesus is alive. Jesus is real. Jesus raised the dead. He healed the sick. He forgave. He loved. He accepted. You know, one of the things that I think we struggle with the most is how does God view us? And so we wrestle, does God accept me for who I am because of this? Or does God accept me because of the sin in my life or mistakes I've made? All we think about is the mistakes, don't we? All we think about is the stuff that we've done. and does, does God, Is God displeased with me? You know what? All you need to do is look at the witness. And you look at the witness of Jesus and you look at the people that he interacted with and the people that he forgave. The people that he had, was angry with were the religious people. The Pharisees. The legalists. The people that he had the most compassion on We're prostitutes, drunkards, sinners. And so you wonder how God sees you now? You don't need to wonder. He accepts you. He loves you. And notice, when you see Jesus interacting with a sinner in the Bible, I want you to notice something. And I challenge you, read the scripture and you'll see it. He never is down on them. Always pointing them in the right direction. Remember the woman taken in adultery, John chapter 8? He says this to her. Where are your accusers? She said, they're not here. And he says, well, then I don't accuse you. But then he says this, go and sin no more. He just pointed her in the right direction. He He didn't accuse her. He didn't say, you know, you shouldn't have been hanging around with those guys or whatever. You shouldn't have been doing this. Pointing fingers, wagging it. He showed love and mercy. That's the testimony. And and John is saying here, God gave us testimony concerning Jesus. So you want to know about Jesus interacting in your life? Just read the Gospels. See how He interacted and you'll know how He is with you. Now, if you're a legalist, if you're a religious person, you need to read the Gospels too because you'll see how Jesus is with you. And that's the reality. So He gives testimony concerning Jesus. He goes on and tells us in verse 10 and 12 that we have this testimony in our hearts. We have this testimony in our hearts. Are are you wondering about it? Look, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, your own heart will tell you. Notice what he says in verse 10 and 12. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The Spirit bears witness with our hearts that we are the children of God. He who does not believe has made himself a liar but he who has not believed the testimony that but because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and the life is in his son he who has the son has life he who does not have the son does not have life we have that testimony within our own hearts if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior you just don't have the testimony of God which we have revealed in his word You also have the testimony of God interacting in your own life. Working in your own life. Here's how God works in your life. He encourages you. He strengthens you. He also convicts you. He tells you when you're not doing right, He tells you you need to do things right. You have the testimony in your own heart that Jesus is real, that to strengthen your faith. Then he goes on and tells us this. We have the promise of Scripture. Look at verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We only, not only do we have the witness of God through the ministry of Jesus and his actions there, not only do we have the testimony within our own heart, we have the promise of Scripture. You know that these things are true because the Bible tells you them. Think about that for a moment. Next time you're wrestling with that whole issue of how does God love me, how does He accept me? I'm trying to reach that standard up here, and I can't reach it, and I fail, and I'm on the ground, and Lord, how, how, there's no way I could ever reach it. And you're wondering how God sees you. All you need to do is look at the Scripture and see how He sees you. All you need to do and see is that He says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just what to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." But there is forgiveness that you can move on. We have the promise of the Scriptures. So many of us are afraid of the Bible. Here's what we're afraid of the Bible about. And this is because we don't read it, so we don't know what's in it. But we're afraid of the Bible because we're so afraid that the Bible is a list of rules. And that God has given us, God, the ultimate cosmic killjoy, is giving us a list of rules to ruin my life and to make it miserable. Well, I can already tell you you haven't read the Bible. Yes, he does tell us things that we should not do, and the reason why he tells us we shouldn't do them is because he wants to save us, he wants to spare us from ourselves and the pain and the heartache and the problems that we'll cause for ourselves. But he also tells us a lot about him. It also tells us a lot about how he loves us, how he accepts us how we are His children. tells us a lot. But we have the promise of Scriptures, so it's incumbent upon us really to read it. Really to read it. Now we get into verse 14 and 15, which is our last section, because now as I understand my standing, that I'm an overcomer, and my over, I overcome because of the faith I have in Christ, and He's shown us what we have faith in, and all the testimony that He's given us concerning that which we have faith in, Jesus, he now tells me that I can have confidence. See, there's that standard. If you love me, he says, keep my commandments. What's the commandment? Love one another. There's that standard. How do I reach that? Well, I understand my standing. I understand that the object of my faith is Jesus. Now I can have confidence that I can overcome. That I can do what he's asking me to do. And that a confidence then is expressed in my prayer. So notice what he says, verse 14 and 15. And now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will. Let me just stop for a moment. Make it clear here. If we ask anything according to his will. He didn't just according to his will is in there. It's not out of there. Not that I ask anything. Jesus, I want a new truck. Jesus, I need a raise. You know, no, that's not what he's saying here. According to his will. Whose will? God's will. He hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. A couple of things I want you to know first thing is, our confidence is this. He will hear us. He will hear us. He'll hear you. See, what's he talking about? Remember, put it in context of what he's talking about. The context of what he's talking about is loving God. The context is is that if I love God, then He's told me that my love for him is expressed in my obedience to him, that I'm going to obey what he tells me to do. And the one thing he's told me to do here is to love others. So he's told me now that I can do that because I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer because I have faith in Jesus. And he's explained that whole process to me that I believe in Jesus according to all these witnesses that he's giving me. Now because of my belief in Jesus and because I'm an overcomer, I can have confidence to go to him in prayer. And when I say to him, God, help me to love because that's your will for me to love. He'll answer you. He'll answer you. He will reach down and answer you. Because that's what he's saying, according to his will. What's his will? He's already expressed it, that you love one another. So let's make it rubber beats the road here so we understand what we're talking about. Let me give you an illustration first to help you to understand. Dr. Helen Rosevere, a missionary to Zaire, which is now called the Congo, told the following statement. A mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So during devotions that morning, we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her little sister, who was now an orphan. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow it will be too late, because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send a doll for her sister, so that she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a large parcel arrived from England. Eagerly, the children watched as we opened it. Much to their surprise, under some clothing, was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who prayed so earnestly started to delve deeper, exclaiming, if God sent that... I'm sure that he sent a doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance the child's sincere request, and five, and five months before, he gathered a group of ladies to include both of those specific items. Although many of our prayers are not answered so dramatically, God always sends us his best. Let's praise him for his loving responses to our needs. So here we are. Mermitza wrote, You've got somebody here. Maybe they're even in this room right now. And you know that God says to you, there's the standard, I want you to love. I want you to love them. And you're saying, well, God, you don't know what you're asking of me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they stubbed me or you don't know what they said about me or you don't know how they treated me. Yeah, he does. If anyone does, he does. But he still says, I want you to love them. But you say, I can't. Everything within me doesn't want to do it. You're right, you can't. But he says, you're an overcomer. And your faith is in me. So you ask me, what is it I want you to do? You ask me to help you according to my will. My will is what? For you to love them. So you go to him and you say to him, Father... You're asking me to do something I can't do. Help me do it. Help me to love them. I'm going to be honest with you, it may not be the first time that he immediately answers, but if you continue to pray that prayer, I guarantee you, you'll change. They may never change. They may be just as whatever, belligerent, ignorant, whatever, as ever. But you'll change. Hey, I know that's true. I've seen it in my life. Some of you are nodding your head in agreement. Yes, you've seen it in your life too. He will hear you. And the next thing I want you to notice is is that He will answer you. He will answer you. It may not be the answer that you like because here's how we pray. When somebody irritates us, we don't like to pray prayers like, oh God, help me to love them. We pray prayers like, God, zap them. Give them a problem, Lord. Bring them to repentance. Have them come and grovel in front of me and tell me they're sorry. They may never do that. But he will answer you in the sincerity of your heart. If you're praying, and I notice I said the key phrase there is according to what? His will. What's his will? His will is, is what? That we love each other. If we go to him and say, Lord, help me. He will answer you. He'll answer you. It may not be the way that you want, but you'll see this. You'll see you change. Hey, let me tell you something. That in itself is significant because you, you maybe maybe you know what uh, I've I've know what it's like to have somebody you're mad at. Can't sleep at night because what you're thinking about is them. As soon as you, I mean, you're they're on your mind. Breakfast, lunch, and supper. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, during your sleep, you're dreaming about them. And the fact is, is that he'll answer you. And you'll be able to lay your head down on a pillow and be able to sleep. And God will help you. But you've got to ask him. You've got to ask him. Okay, George, where are we going with this? Let me give you three things. Number one, ask yourself this. Have you given up? Have you given up? He set the bar too high for me, George. I can't do it. Maybe it's not the issue of loving someone. Maybe it's another issue in your life God's talking to you about and that he's saying to you that I want you to do this in your life. And you're saying, I can't do it, George. You're right, you can't. But you've got to ask yourself the question, Have you given up? Have you given up? F.J. Hugel, in a book written, Forever Triumph, tells a story that came out of World War II. After General Jonathan Wainwright was captured by the Japanese, he's the general who surrendered the U.S. Army forces in the Philippines, he was held prisoner in a Chinese concentration camp. Cruelly treated, he became a broken, crushed, hopeless, starving man. Finally, the Japanese surrendered and the war ended. The United States sent an army colonel to the camp to announce personally to the general that Japan had been defeated and that he was free now and in command. After Wainwright heard the news, he returned to his quarters and was confronted by some of the Japanese guards who began to mistreat him again as they had done in the past. Only this time something was different. Wainwright, however, with the news of The Allied victory, still fresh in his mind, declared to them, No, I am in command here, and these are my orders. Bugle observed from that moment on, General Wainwright was in control. He makes this application in his book. Have you been informed of the victory of your Savior in the greatest conflict of the ages? then rise to assert your rights. Never again go under the enemy and become oppressed. Claim the victory in Jesus' name. Hugel observes, we must learn to stand on resurrection ground, reckoning dead the old creation life that Satan had a power over and living now in the new creation life which Satan has no power over whatsoever. Have you given up? Is the bar too high for you? You know what? In your old life, before Jesus, you couldn't attain it. But now, because of Jesus, you can. Have you given up? Ask yourself that question. Have you given up? Which brings us to the next point. Recognize who you are. You know, can I be honest with you? I, I, uh, there, is, there, there is a description of Christians that I hate. Dirty, rotten sinner. How many of you have heard that one? Raise your hand. How many of you have heard it? Be honest. If you're a Christian, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. I don't like that statement. Can I tell you why? Yes, we are sinners, and the Bible describes us as sinners because we sin, but that is not how God sees you. When the Scripture describes you, it describes you in terms of like this. Son of God. Child of God. It describes you this way, saint. The word saint is actually a Latin translation of the word holy or holy ones. He sees you as a holy one. He sees you as a masterpiece. Ephesians talks about us being his workmanship. You are a masterpiece, God's creation, new creation. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever describe you and I as dirty Rotten sinner. Nowhere. Not only do you need to ask yourself the question, have you given up? You need to ask, you need to recognize who you are. Recognize who you are. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. And remember we already said this, you are a what? Overcomer. Let's hear it again. I'm a what? Boy, you guys are lame today. Let's say it with a little bit more emphasis. I'm a what? Do you believe it? See, the only way you're going to attain it is to believe it. But you've been sold a bill of goods. You've had somebody lie to you. You're a believer in Jesus. And so then he tells us what? Third thing, finally. Become a person of prayer. Listen, he sets that standard so high, you know you can't attain it, then pray about it. You know he tells you to do a certain thing in the Word, then pray about it. Talk to him. But you know, George, I've had people tell me this, I don't pray like you do. Yeah, you're right, and it's a good thing you don't, because you know, after being a pastor, a while you pick up the lingo and whatever. But you know what, God's not concerned about my lingo, God's concerned about the heart. And you could talk to him just like you. In fact, I've said this before. Talk to him like you would talk to your spouse. Be that real with him. Now, you may need to change your tone of voice. But talk to him. Say, God, I don't like the bum rap. I don't like what's going on. You say, can I be that real with him? I just have started reading through Psalms again in my devotional time. David talks that way. He's that real with God. God, my enemies are against me. God, where are you? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Become a person of prayer. That is the only way we can achieve what God wants for us. It is the only way that we're going to love Him. You know what? And He allows us to do it as He strengthens us. Let's pray.